Hi, I'm Lucy, the new curate here at NCS, and I'm really excited to be talking through this story with you and to draw out some themes and background to help your reflections on it. This is such a compelling story of human relationship, with all of its rivalry, jealousy, along with its beauty, love and reconciliation. But this human story is entirely overarched and held by the truth of who God is, his promises and how he is at work. So this morning we have two passages and they mark kind of the start of David's tumultuous relationship with King Saul in his being brought into an intimate friendship with him and his son Jonathan. And then, as far as we know, the last time David and Saul encounter each other, where David could choose to take power but doesn't. Instead, continuing to wait for God to fulfil his promise and plan for Israel. So let's start with 1 Samuel 18, 1-9. David, a young man, has just had the famous fight with Goliath and been brought to Saul. We're told that Saul takes him into his own household and won't let him return to his house or father. This shepherd boy has risen to the status of royalty through his faith in the Lord and through the Lord's plan for his life. What's really the focus of this section, however, is Jonathan's relationship with David. David and Jonathan's friendship is famous, and this is the passage where we see the beginning of it. We're told here that Jonathan loved David as his own soul. Now, as we know, we only have one word for love in the English language, but in Hebrew there are many. The word here that is used is Ahab, which is the same word as is used for familial love between parents, children and spouses, as well as love for the law of God, and is the same word as used in Leviticus 19.18, in the commandment to love our neighbours as ourselves. Jonathan does something really powerful here. He takes off his armour and gives it to David. He recognises David's anointing, and the prince, who's in line for the throne, loves him as himself and symbolically submits to him through this act. Not in fear or because of human power, but through friendship and love. Their relationship is also sealed through covenant, as we see God sealing his relationship with the people of Israel through covenant. Here we have a beautiful image of the kind of relationship God calls his people to, even among royalty and those who hold power, the military leaders, God desires their lives to be informed by this kind of love. Importantly now in this passage, we see this juxtaposed with how Saul feels towards David. It creates a striking sense of how, for Saul, power defines his relationships more than love or covenant. In Saul, we see the beginnings of jealousy. From verse 6, we hear of joyous dancing and singing, celebrating the victory, welcoming the army home, and thanking the heroes, mainly David. Saul is put in second place. And so from this moment on, jealousy and suspicion begin to take root. Saul's relationship with David in the next few chapters is rocky to say the least. He gives his daughter in marriage to him, cementing him in covenant as part of his family, as his son. But whenever he feels that David is a threat to his own power or status, he turns against him. Unlike his son who remains faithful. Saul continued to chase David around the region, 
his hatred of David making him want to kill him. So we pick up the story again in chapter 26. And David has been anointed to be the next king of Israel. Saul knows this and hates David for it. David has been hiding from Saul for some time. So at this moment, he and his men are near Ziph, a city in the hill country of southern Judah. The land between the city and the Dead Sea is desolate, meaning it was fairly easy to go undetected or or, or reported, and it's a good place for this hide-and-seek lifestyle that David has been forced into. His location is betrayed to Saul and the beginning of this passage by the inhabitants of the land, and the king then gets a carefully selected army of 3,000 men to seek him out. When you think that David only has 600 men with him, that shows the scale of effort and resources Saul was willing to put in because of his anger and jealousy. So Saul's army are camped near David's hiding place, and David, ever cunning, goes down with one of his men, Abishai, to where Saul is sleeping. Next to him in the ground is his spear, which is believed to be the symbol of kingship, along with a water jug. Abishai seems to assume that this is an assassination mission and offers to kill Saul for David. But David, who recognises the divine anointing of Saul as king, refuses. Instead, he says that if the Lord intends for him to die, then he trusts that this will happen. But that he himself has promised God he will not raise his hand against God's anointed. And here, once again, we see this theme of covenant, of promise. So often, the Israelites break their covenants with the Lord. But David, the man after God's own heart, keeps his, even though it would be so easy to take what he wants, even what he feels called to, what he's anointed for, and claim it, um, claim blamelessness. It doesn't even have to be him who kills him. His man here has offered to do that for him. But he doesn't, because he knows that God's plans are not met in vengeance, but in love, mercy and covenant. And he is not an opportunist, but willing to wait for God to fulfil his will. It isn't a wasted trip, however, and David takes his spear along with the water jug. And no one notices because God has sent a deep sleep on each of these 3,000 men. And so David, in proof of the fact that he has spared the life of the man who had been hunting him down and who wouldn't show him the same mercy given the chance, shouts to one of Saul's men, Abner, who who was meant to be guarding him, and chastises him for allowing someone to get so close to the king. Here, David is proving his blamelessness. He chose to respect the king's divine authority and not to kill him. While these men failed to defend him. In a strange way, he's respected the king's position better than the men who he has chosen to protect him. When Saul hears David saying all of this, he responds, Is that your voice, my son David? David, who could have seized kingship minutes before, still recognises the authority of Saul and asks why he is pursuing his servant. David believes himself still to be the servant of this man who has come to kill him. But because of this, 
Because David spared his life, Saul admits he was wrong. And we see this momentary reconciliation of these two men. David then returns to Saul the spear that he took. In the end, Saul recognises that David is anointed, that he will do great things. These are powerful words that foreshadow who David will become from the very man who is trying to stop him. This is not the end of David's running, however, and seemingly after this moment, nothing changes. Saul goes back to his court and David goes back into hiding. Saul often repented of his efforts to kill David, but shortly after each brief period of repentance, he continues his efforts. David has in fact spared Saul's life life before, but the good grace shown to him afterwards was short-lived. Even though we see in this moment God's reconciliation and power at work, David remains realistic and gets back out of there before David can change his, before Saul can change his mind, which, as he has learnt from experience, he so often does. But this happens to be the last recorded meeting of the two, and so the last words Saul says to David aren't words of anger, but... Blessed be you, my son David. You will do many things and will succeed in them. In the story of these two men, these are the last words of one king of Israel to the next. The journey of God's plan for David is long, unstraightforward and at times even circular. David could easily have taken a shortcut and done it his way. But instead he stayed steadfast to the promises he made to God honoured the king and made the journey harder for himself in order to stay true to these things. We see God in this story, not in jealousy, earthly power and vengeance, but in love, as between Jonathan and David, in covenant, in mercy and in reconciliation. So waiting for the promises of a God who is like this to be fulfilled is definitely worth the wait.